Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special mashup podcast episode between Shaped by the Sea and Big Tourism on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Urisitz, and I'm joined by co-host Erica Sears. Normally, we would be diving into the minds of seafaring folks to learn something new from their firsthand experiences on the water, and Erica will be discussing coastal tourists in their natural habitat. But today's guest, Cassia Patel from Oceanic Global, has merged our two worlds into one. Cassia and I have worked together in the past to help bring sustainable solutions to the hospitality industry, but a lot has changed in the past year and we have a lot of catching up to do. For those of you who aren't familiar, Oceanic Global is on a mission to bring ocean conservation solutions to the worlds of art, music, hospitalities, fashion, and technology, engaging new audiences and meeting people where they are already engaged. Oceanic Global also has a program called the Oceanic Standard, which I'll bring in Erica here to speak a little bit more about. Yeah, so thanks for queuing in the tourism and hospitality side of things. In addition to the wonderful work that Oceanic Global is doing, and I highly recommend looking and being impressed by their website, um, today we're also going to dive in deeper to an initiative they have called the Oceanic Standard. This is a set of free industry-specific guides for adopting sustainable operating practices that meet both business and environmental needs. The Oceanic Standard, a research-backed resource, is designed to support effective shifts in policy, infrastructure, and best practice for responsible consumption while offering cost-effective alternatives to products that threaten our planet. Um, which absolutely sounds amazing. So before we dive into that, I'm going to welcome Cassia to chat with us. Um, I had found part of their manifesto and thought I would read it for everyone. It is so inspirational and heartwarming and perfect. I don't know who wrote this, Cassia. Maybe you can let us know. Um, but it says, Oceanic Global honors humanity's essential relationship to our ocean, we empower behavior that protects our ocean's health and in turn our own. We raise awareness for the devastating effects of human consumption on our aquatic ecosystems and work with leading scientists, conservationists, artists, and industry experts to drive positive change. I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. So Cassia, welcome to our mashup pod. Um, we're happy to have you here today. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Erica and Brian. It's, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, happy to be combining the worlds as well. Um, we'll be getting into that a little bit later, but definitely excited to find um, intersections between different fields. Yeah, yeah. And so I thought before we jumped in, just going back to that manifesto, um, it's just taking a few pieces out of it, it talks about humanity's essential relationship, empowering behavior, raising awareness, driving positive change. Um, are there one of those aspects that is really standing out to you right now or feels very relevant um, in the context of COVID-19? Yeah, so I, I think within the context of COVID-19, and also thank you again for the kind words on the manifesto. I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> share that with the team. Um, but yeah, but but in, in the context of right now, uh, as you both have mentioned, our program, the Oceanic Standard, really focuses on empowering businesses in hospitality and tourism to implement best practices for sustainable operations. And, and we, we really begin by tackling plastic and waste. Um, and for the most part, globally, we've been seeing in, in the fight against plastic pollution, um, huge strides and incredible momentum um, through February. And so I think, you know, there's been this past six months has definitely been 
a quieter period in that realm, but the work has not stopped. Um, but we did pause a little bit at the beginning because businesses in those industries have been the most impacted throughout all of this and um, are certainly um, suffering considerably. And so we wanted to be able to share that empathy. And we were trying to figure out on our end how we could provide support during this really difficult period. And so we we create resources. Um, that's what we do. And we provide solutions and um, try to help businesses implement those. And so we figured that we could help by creating COVID-19 plastic-free reopening guidelines. And I know we'll be diving into that a little bit later on in the conversation. But essentially, that really just comes from our um, intention to support these businesses and to make sure that as they are prioritizing health and safety, they can do so without having that come at a cost to the environment and staying true to their sustainability values. Um, I think we're seeing even throughout this period that consumers have an increasing demand for to support businesses that embody their values and their ethos. And that's actually only growing. And so um, it's really inspiring to see that even through the pandemic. People are changing their practices at home. The sales of bottled water, even for those who usually uh, would purchase them at home, have have decreased, almost cut in half. Um, so, so there is this this movement and this cultural shift that's taking place. And so, I, I would say uh, focusing right now on empowering um, those behaviors and, and providing as much support as we can, being quite compassionate of of existing circumstances. Nice answer, Cassia. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. So. So I think uh, we, you mentioned your work with the Oceanic Standard and and specifically in hospitalities. And so I'm just curious, you know, diving back into pre-COVID, uh, when me and you first met up, we were working a lot in the hospitality sector um, to reduce their, like you said, uh, their plastics in operations and their waste. And so I'm just curious if you could speak a little bit more to, you know, why do we need this Oceanic Standard? And what are some of the most common business practices uh, in, in let, let's talk about hospitalities, I guess, right, right here, because we're talking big tourism. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the common business practices that the Oceanic Standard really seeks to change? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I won't touch upon this for too long because I know we have um, an educated and, and engaged crowd with us today. But um, but the issue of marine plastic pollution not only threatens the environment, but it also threatens human health. So I just do want to ground us in that reality and recognizing that 83% of drinking water worldwide is contaminated with plastics. In the US, that's 94%. So on average, globally, we consume a credit card's worth of microplastics every week. Um, which is insane, but easy to visualize in that sense. Um, so, so that's I would say that's the that's the why uh, more broadly of, of why we need to take action, why we need to reduce plastic and waste. Um, plastic and waste also both contribute to greenhouse gas emissions, furthering our climate crisis. So, so I would say that's that's the why from the environmental and human health perspective. Um, but then, in terms of why do we need the Oceanic Standard to empower businesses? Um, it's been interesting. So with the with the program, we have our research back resources, which break down um, information by industry and by region for um, policies that are relevant to, to banning single use plastics in that area, waste management infrastructure, service providers, and then actually going through item by item, straws, cups, bottles, cutlery, takeaway containers, food prep gloves, uh, plastic wrap, <laughs> getting quite detailed and yeah. linking directly through to brands that are offering alternatives to single use plastics. Um, and so so we have those resources. We offer a sustainability consulting service, actually supporting businesses, um, walking them through that process. And then we help them set goals by aligning that with our badge system. And so we do have a four-tiered badge system to recognize businesses for their achievements. Um, and I have to say, it's been interesting to see that 
even internally, the badges can be a huge motivator. Uh, we're working with the Mandarin Oriental in Bangkok, for example, and they are shooting for our plastic free badge. They're very close. Uh, we're hoping to celebrate <laughs> that with them very soon. But um, but shooting for that badge has actually made it a game and it's made it super fun and all the employees are, are excited and um, empowered by it. And so even though the whole chain of Mandarin Oriental is shooting to have plastic-free practices within the next few years, um, Bangkok is far in the lead because their team is inspired and, and um, surrounded by this shared goal towards that badge. So I would say it works internally as well as externally, communicating that to um, to the community and to people who would um, respond to that positively, as we were saying, you know, the, consumer, the shifting consumer habits there. Um, but then I would also say, and, and relevant to how we had first connected and how we were working together, uh, which was in Barbados, uh, we, we started our work there because they announced a nationwide ban on single-use plastics. And so many of the businesses there, when we went down, still hadn't even heard of this policy and weren't aware of what was going to take place, what that meant for them, what solutions really looked like and how they could find them. And so we found that to really be our role. And so in the event that we co-hosted together, uh, we had an eco marketplace featuring vendors, offering those sustainable solutions from around the island, um, and inviting businesses from the hospitality and tourism sectors to uh, come learn about our resources, the support that we could offer um, with consultants on the ground in Barbados and highlighting local vendors that they could be using. Um, also with an awareness that this policy was upcoming that they would have to uh, abide by. So, um, so I would say it can also be a tool for political reform and change from both perspectives. On, on one hand, pushing governments to take the needed steps um, to implement that legislation, but on the other hand, making sure that businesses can properly comply with that legislation once it's been put in place. Yeah, I like how the- she started off by like just bringing us really down with the reality of the world in plastic, and then just brought us right back up with all of this exciting things that are going on internationally. Um, that this is going to be a roller coaster of emotions. Buckle up, <laughs> listeners. This is exciting and scary. So thank you, Cassia, for that wonderful answer. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think your your response really transitions into the second question I have. And also, um, it was incredible working in Barbados with you. It you know that that was yeah. that was an awesome experience. The 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 culture on that island and the work that they were doing down there. That it was just a pleasure to be a part of it. You know. And, um, but it really, what you said leads me into my next question, which is why do you find that businesses do choose to work with, uh, the oceanic standard? Um, are they reaching out to you? Are you doing a lot more outreach to them? Um, are they trying, like, are they aware of this shifting consumer demand for sustainable goods and services that you mentioned? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just curious if you could speak to some more to that. Yeah. And that's a great question. Um, I, I do have to say, so we launched the program in April of 2018. So it's been just over two years now. And uh, we have been, we're, we're quite a small team, um, but we have been largely reactive thus far rather than proactive. So so in large part, we're just responding to inquiries that are coming in. Um, and since the program has launched, we've worked with over 300 businesses across 20 countries. And I think on that last count, that's actually 23 countries, but it's, it's incredible to see this global appetite and interest. And so in in a lot of cases, businesses are approaching us um, to get involved and they do want to be recognized for their efforts. And uh, we provide a very specific program for plastic and waste. And we have a plastic free badge that businesses can shoot for. And so I do think that's um, that that is appealing because it, it's quite transparent in what that means. Um, our, our, I mentioned we have four tiers of badges. 
The first here is straw free, and that's for eliminating single use plastic straws. So again, quite self evident in the name. Um, the other two are less clear, and we are thinking about how we can restructure that. But the second one is sustainability steward for businesses that eliminate three forms of single use plastics. Um, and the third is ocean champion for businesses that eliminate six forms of single use plastics. And these can all be compounding. So it's really celebrating businesses where they're at in their journey, but encouraging them and um, pushing them to take that next step. Um, I would ask that for um, that we also do really look at the waste management side of things. So not just the procurement, uh, going back to actually to your earlier question, Brian, of what are these practices? Can, can you know, what are some of these examples? How can we visualize what that really looks like? Um, when we're coming into a business, it, in some cases, it's just saying, you know, switch from plastic straws to paper, lemongrass, pasta, hay, whatever you got, <laughs> that's not plastics. <laughs> so in some cases, that's the that's that's the strategy. But in other cases, too, it's 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 really encouraging a reusable system or seeing if if it is a dine in restaurant, can they be offering reusables rather than disposables? And and on the cost side of things, which actually um, ties back into the, the current moment, um, reusables will um We'll, we'll quickly save, save on costs rather than continually purchasing disposable items. So um, so that's one, one side of things. And then I would also say in conjunction to that, it, it's looking at the waste management and, and the, the signage, the sorting, the employee training, and all that has to go behind implementing a successful initiative. Um, so I do think that, yeah, so I think it's two part. Um, one, yes, people, businesses are reaching out because they see we have this uh, badge system that they can be recognized for. But then I also think um, that businesses do want support and guidance and all of our resources have been open source from the beginning. It's actually a huge reason why we wanted to create this as a nonprofit rather than a sustainability consulting group. Um, because at the time, there was no freely available guidance. Um, now there's there's quite a lot more out there that's available, which is amazing um, as the literature has only increased. But um, but at the time you had to pay quite a bit of money just to first get insight into what these solutions could look like. So for us, it's been really important to have that open source um, and our COVID reopening guidelines have been the same. And I would nice. say too, just as somebody that works with a lot of hospitality businesses on the Oregon coast that are small and that don't have this kind of background or the resources to the research. I really appreciated it in your website. You know, I started reading it and it was saying, you know, you know, here are some reasons to get rid of plastic. And I was thinking to myself like, okay, yeah, easier said than done. Well, then it tells you how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, okay. <laughs> so it's like such a thorough resource. And I think that is really important, especially these smaller businesses that want to be a part of it, but you know, they're not going to take the time to be like, okay, so if I can't have this type of product, where would I buy the alternative? How much would that cost? That was all included. And I think that is such a great resource. I am curious, um, Cassia, when it comes to the Oceanic Standard, there's also like surf riders, um, ocean friendly restaurants, and there are similar other other certification and standards like this. Um, do you ever work with them or partner with those type of organizations as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's a great question. And actually, that's one major piece um, to how we've been able to grow globally so effectively. We partner with um, what we call our network of independent consultants. And so in some cases, these are nonprofits. Um, in some cases, these are for-profits or existing sustainability consultancy groups. Um, they can also just be individuals that we train 
within our structure and framework to be able to, to roll out the program uh, across the world. And so many of the many, uh, in many cases, we do work with businesses that have their own existing structure, um, but it tends to be more localized. And so we can then offer this global platform um, to recognize businesses with and, and what we can do is cross reference businesses so they can be achieving uh, both badges or both certifications. Um, to yeah, to, to be able to celebrate that, or so that we can feature that on our collective map of businesses that are partaking, or that we know are achieving um, operations that meet those standards. So that's one way, and, and we do look to collaborate and partner with groups as much as we can. Um, mm-hmm. In the case of Surfrider's ocean-friendly restaurants, it's, it's a great question, and we actually work very closely with Surfrider, especially on policy reform efforts. So we we do um, pair our voices um, as we're engaging with policymakers. Um, in, we're based in New York City, so when we're talking about local city policy, statewide policy, but also federal policy, um, including uh, legislation like the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. So looking to see how we can raise our voices. And actually right now we're even collaborating to to do a collective survey and get data from both of our pools of businesses um, to have more information on how businesses are reopening from COVID, if they've switched from reusables to disposables and why, um, so that we can collectively address that. We've also partnered with uh, the group Rethink Disposables who have an amazing program um, and, and have published some incredible case studies um, highlighting the cost benefits of reusables that I was mentioning earlier. So I definitely encourage people to check out both programs. Um, and yeah, so we are finding more creative ways to to work together, even though we might both have um, our own badge systems. But there's still there's so much work that needs to be done that we don't really see that as uh, competitive nature. Love nice. it. Yeah. I, I like how you're beating up plastic from the top down and from the bottom up. You know, it's really it's really got nowhere to go. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, and, yeah. and Ka- I have another question for you, Cassia. So I know you work with it, you know hospitality as a whole, but um, you do work with a lot of different industries, whether it's restaurants or I know you met you worked with music festivals um, and some of these bigger events. Um, I'm just curious, pre-pandemic, which of these industries were making, in your eyes, the, the greatest strides towards sustainability? Yeah, that's another really good question. Um, yeah, so so just to add more color to that, we do uh, engage with different businesses, uh, sorry, industries, starting with the hospitality industry, hotels, restaurants, bars, cafes. Um, but that did quickly grow, as, as we are thrilled to see, to uh, the music industry, working with festivals and concerts and musicians and artists, um, as well as to professional sports. So actually working with stadiums and larger scale sporting events. And that was through um, this, the professional sports program is our largest scale program, I would say. And so that's actually a partnered program with Nexus. And we had a lot of support from consultants at uh, Accenture. And that's called our super program, single use plastics reduction, which is slightly uh, branded slightly differently to to appeal to the sports crowd. Um, And in working with these much larger scale venues and events, it was quite interesting because we soon came in contact with food service providers. So groups like Aramark and Levy Restaurants and Delaware North Company, and these groups that actually cater to institutions across the nation. And so in a variety of different um, settings, whether it's campuses or um, other large event spaces, et cetera. And so I think that was really exciting to them be working not only with individual um 
businesses and venues, but also to then go a, a step up from that and see how could we tackle the headquarters of, of the groups that are providing all of this food serviceware from the top down, as you were saying, Brian, pairing the top down with the with the bottom up. Um, so so that was really exciting and, and, and great to see that many of those groups already do have um, a sustainability arm or focus or R&D team that we could support and add more um, industry expertise to. So, so that was quite promising, and we're really excited to get that back off the ground, especially because as we see it, and, and as, as you all shared at the beginning, our, our goal really is to engage new audiences in ocean conservation. And to do that, you need to speak the same language that people are responding to. So whether that's through art, through music, or through sports, um, and at least in, in the US, but also globally, um, sports is a really powerful language that can bridge gaps and reach people who may not normally identify as environmentalists. So um, we do see a lot of promise with that program and our thrilled to get that back up and running and then i would just say that there's been a lot of movement in the music industry and and we've been thrilled to just see how much of that is taking place we have a lot of partners in the space who are already have been quite active um reverb is working with artists to help uh to help completely offset their tours um, from. And, and so I know they just announced Lumineers having a climate positive tour, um, which might be one of the first climate positive tours, which is really exciting. Um, but Julie's Bicycle and a Greener Festival in the UK uh, and beyond, there's a lot of groups who have been focusing on that. And we're seeing that musicians are really taking this to heart um, from Billie Eilish to Jack Johnson. Uh, the, these musicians are becoming ambassadors for our planet and for our ocean. And so I think that's another reason why that program has so much potential because these are people that the world looks up to and celebrates. And so um, if, if we can engage that captive audience um, as, as soon as we do again, have in-person events, but also in the meantime, in a virtual way, just looking at our own practices at home, um, we see that being really inspiring. And so I would just say too, that with all of these programs for hospitality, for music and for sports, our goal is not just to change the practices and the operations within the building, but to inspire everybody who, who visits that establishment to then change their own practices at home. And that's where we really get this scalable um, impact and this, and this growing change that we need to see. That is so inspirational. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I also, I know you're all dying to know this. I was supposed to go see the Lumineers and it was canceled due to COVID. So mm. I'm oh, very no. excited that they're doing the this campaign. It's very exciting. Um, yeah. I'm just so aligned with great artists, you know, so feeling good about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious to just dive kind of back into the hospitality um, oceanic standard is I know you mentioned this briefly that we have shifting consumer trends um, around sustainability and businesses, but I'm Curious if you have any specific examples of how consumers are responding to the Oceanic Standard and their favorite businesses. Have any of those businesses reported back to you on positive reviews that they've had, an increase in business, or what does that look like? Yeah, so I think I'll have two parts to this answer, um, and, and it's a great question. You know, what's what what is that response if our goal really is to to target consumers? How have they been receiving this? Um, we worked with Sandals Resorts. We're still working with them, uh, all of their 19 locations across seven Caribbean islands to fully eliminate single-use plastics. And they're getting very close in that journey as well, which we're really excited to hopefully celebrate very soon. And at the beginning, you know, this was quite this was quite different for their audience to to potentially think about. And Sandals um, 
For those who may not know, this actually have a long history of environmental stewardship and action. They are also EarthCheck certified, so they're really looking in depth at their infrastructure, their energy, water, wastewater, etc. Um, but a lot of that's invisible from the consumer perspective. So from from the guest experience perspective, you know, you just see the resort, you see the beaches, you see the all inclusive experience. And so touching something like plastics, which is actually why we we see our program as um, complementary to many of those programs that focus on infrastructure. Um, plastics are such a guest experience touch point. It, it's very visible, it's very physical and intangible um, for people. And so if you, for example, if you order a margarita and you don't get a plastic straw, but a paper straw, um, you'll notice that and that, that changes your experience and, and your um, and, and your awareness of, of that visit. And so they at first were apprehensive about what the response might be. But then even though, of course, there's always a few people who are resistant to different types of change. And, um, you know, I think that's un that's um, unavoidable. But overarchingly, they got such an overwhelming positive response um, from their community, from their consumers that um, that were thrilled to see they're taking such such a strong dedication to the ocean beaches um, planet ecosystems that they're also featuring and, and reliant on as businesses in the tourism industry. Mm -hmm. So I think so that, that was really powerful for them to see how they were apprehensive at first, but then it, it ended up having this really positive response. Um, beyond that, I would say uh, another one, another example, and this is an example too of what a solution could look like. We've been working with the House of Yes in New York to go plastic free and they have, which is amazing. It's a, a nightlife venue that also hosts a lot of events and it's a community center uh, in Brooklyn. And um, not only is their venue itself plastic free, but so was their 20,000 person Halloween party and uh, which was um, at a different location. But we used a local vendor, uh, Cup Zero, who have a reusable cup solution. Um, and so this is something that the guests were physically interacting with and they could see that they had the same cup that they were able to either refill or exchange for a new reusable cup um, throughout the experience. And uh, it's a deposit program. So you put down $1 to get your cup and then you can get your dollar back when you return the cup. Um, and Usually, I think we're all familiar with this image at the end of a party or, you know, it's 4 a.m. or whatever. And at the end of a party or a concert, you see a giant mountain of single use plastic <laughs> cups, straws, stirs, everything else. Right. I think we're quite familiar with that, <laughs> wading through that on our way home. Um, and so instead of seeing that at the end of this Halloween party, um, unlike perhaps many of the others taking place that week, um, there were people running around to pick up the reusable cups so they could get their dollar back. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so people were making, you know, 20 bucks or so off this as they're cleaning up everybody's cups. And they, they barely had to have their cleaning staff pick up any cups at all um, because the ground was spotless at the end of the evening. And so um, I think that's just another another example for how these sustainable solutions can also just be provide a better quality experience for everybody. Um, and on that note, too, I'll just give another quick shout out. Um, as we're working with the um, with professional sports, we launched that program at the Super Bowl in Miami uh, in February, which feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and uh, the Super Bowl itself was actually mostly plastic free and they were using aluminum cups from Ball. So these are single use cups, but they can be um, reused um, and they're also infinitely recyclable. And the aluminum cups keep your beer colder for longer. So it's just a better experience for the guests as well. And I think when you can show that a sustainable product is a higher quality product, um, and at a relatively, um, at a decent cost point, uh, then I think that's where we can really start to see momentum. I love it. I love that some of these points are just like less plastic, better party. 
Exactly. Yeah. That's profit, what we're saying. Better party. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. wish I had those at my uh, <laughs> when I was an undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's curious. I was thinking about this um, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, putting a paper straw instead of a plastic straw, just the importance of communicating these operational changes to your frontline staff. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just thinking like I worked in a restaurant for a long time and if you if they made a change and didn't tell you why, and then I can just imagine going to a table of paper straw and someone's like, what's this? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. um, I know it's covered in that hospitality edition. Can you um, talk a little bit more about the importance of training your frontline staff to, to truly understand the value of making these changes? Yeah. And I, I love this question. I think this, this really gets at the heart of um, a lot of the support that, that we can offer, but also, yeah, just one of, one of our primary um, values that we share through the oceanic standard. So we do focus and place great emphasis on, staff and employee engagement and training um, because your initiatives will only be as successful um, as your staff are able to implement them. And so you need to have everybody on board from the dishwashers to the bartenders, to the hosts, to the waiters um, on board and, and, and on your team as ambassadors of the program. And so not only just to celebrate and be proud uh, and embody the values of what their business is, um, is now standing for, which is, which is absolutely important. And so we always do um, emphasis on importance on um, sharing the why that, that, we, that I highlighted at the, at the beginning of this. So, so what are the environmental and human health reasons for taking this step? Why, why is this important? And why is this um, what, what we're doing? So I think first starting there so people can at least have that grounding and, and that pride. Um, but then going forward and, and being quite specific about what those um, what those actions need to be. So this was uh, two years ago, again, when we launched the standard. But that, at that point, um, tackling single-use plastic straws was uh, was the gateway and was what we were, were just starting to really um, speak about. But of course, um, as I think many on, in, in this um, audience are well aware, that's something that's become a little bit more mainstream. And so businesses that are getting rid of plastic straws and finding alternatives, um, it's, it's become a lot easier to do just because there are so many cost-effective options out there now, which is amazing. Um, but, but at that time, that was still something new. And so we did spend some time in the guidelines, actually, even drafting elevator pitches um, that, uh, that, that businesses could train their staff to say, um, just to share, this is why we're doing this. Um, if you'd like a straw, we can give you one. We have paper straws because of our commitment to our ocean and our planet. Um, and so just even having some of those sound bites for, for employees and for businesses to, uh, sorry, for, uh, yeah, for employees to um, be able to share. And also highlighting that, that that could be shared during a pre-shift meeting or making sure that's also a part of staff orientation. Um, because in a business, in an industry like hospitality, there's such a high turnover rate too um, for employees and for staff, and so you 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 need to also be integrating that as you're uh, onboarding and um, new new employees, so that they're well aware of what the values of, of the business are first of all, um, and how they can roll that out. Um, I'll throw out a Mandarin Oriental example again because I think they did this really well, they actually have a an existing two-week staff training period before um, any new staff member can come on board. And they have a sustainability module key um, as a part of that. And they have a very strong waste management program that's completely run internally, um, waste management training program, sorry, that's completely run internally and um, is, is a huge part of this um, onboarding and orientation. And so um, that's just one example of why, of how it can be rolled out. 
but I, but yeah, I do love that, that, um, that focus and that question. And yeah, as just to reiterate, we really do see those staff as being ambassadors of the program. And as your, as your, um, frontliner, the way that you interface with your guests. And so they're the ones that can, uh, share and help you celebrate that even further with your community. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it makes me think too. So I work in a destination. I work for the Oregon coast. Um, Mm. we are in one spot, 363 miles. So when we do workforce training, you know, we implement and give scholarships for the same type of training. Um, so Mm. that if somebody were of that high turnover to go to the next business, it'd be the same kind of model of customer service. And it makes me just think again about this idea of how you implement, um, the oceanic standard, because you're doing it internationally. And so I am curious when you start doing this in one destination, you know, if you were doing like this in the Florida Keys, does it start kind of catching on where like a business would look and be like, hey, I want that badge. Hey, (laughs) I kind of want that. Or I know you mentioned earlier, you're still sort of in a reactive stage, but have you seen it kind of um, explode within a destination? Yeah. um, And I love that question too. I think it's, uh, it's been it's been a mixed bag, but certainly, as I mentioned too, we when we enter a new space or a new region, we work with local partners, and I think having the capacity to roll it out is so important. So knowing that we can have consultants on the ground supporting, knowing that there are local vendors that we can point to uh, in that region uh, is really important. So, um, so yeah, so I, I do think the programs are just as strong as as our local partners and. Um, one example I'll share is in Tulum in Mexico. We have an amazing team over there that have been spearheading this. And um, we were able to work with a lot of the venues that took part in the Art With Me Festival last April. And so that that's a festival that spans 26 venues or so. And so we actually worked with every single festival. Our team on the ground went in. Um, they were conducting assessments. They were... Um, interviewing staff and employees and um, providing solutions and, and uh, you know, walking through any challenges that came up in, in all of those uh, 26 venues. And so 19 of those venues were actually able to earn our badges um, oh. by the end of that process, which was amazing. And I think you know, especially in that in that festival setting, because you have a limited number of businesses that are partaking, um, it, it definitely caught on, and that businesses wanted to make sure that they got it. Those the small number of businesses that did not, um, they have stayed in touch with us, and they've been really keen and eager to make sure they could get that badge moving forward. So, <laughs> so that's been great. And I think um, we actually have just been getting a lot more outreach um, from Tulum because businesses see that this is taking place. They see the um, the attention and the emphasis, and especially in a place like Tulum which really sells itself as an ecotourism destination where people can come reconnect with nature, live a little bit off the grid um, and be more, more in touch and connected. I think it, it, it has an especially present market there. So um, businesses certainly are interested. Um, I would also say, and we were going to launch this in March. So of course it's been, <laughs> um, it's been tabled for the moment, but we are working with a group called Conservation Collective and um, tackling two destinations. Um, I'll mention Barbados again, because that's actually, uh, we, we had been planning on tackling Barbados uh, as an island-wide destination to um, hire consultants to have them on the ground and and actually going door-to-door working with businesses. And we have a long list of leads from the uh, event that we already hosted last was it last March? Yeah, last March. Uh, it already seems like so long ago. Um, but uh, yeah, but already a lead of businesses who are interested there. Um, I think we've already awarded four, sorry, three badges 
in Barbados, but looking to see how we could grow that. And especially where there is that political momentum, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, and then with Conservation Collective as well, we're looking at tackling uh, a few islands in the Aeolian Islands in Italy, and those would be destination wide and likewise to support policy from the local mayors there uh, who are looking to ban single use plastics and um, and having that be uh, legislation that has feet so that that really is um, being implemented and abided by. So in those cases, and actually in all of those cases, we have strong consultants on the ground um, and an awareness of, of which vendors we can be highlighting locally. So I think that is pretty key for us if we are going to work at the destination level. But um, yeah, but definitely excited to see that it does catch on from business to business, especially um, there's some healthy competition there, I think that we can play into and just gamify it a little bit more. So people, um, I think that especially we were trying to play into that with the professional sports edition to see how we could get teams to to really celebrate this and, and shoot for the stars. And, um, and so with the sports edition, we have bronze, silver, and gold badges. So that is even just more explicit and people can say, okay, we got to get higher than our rivals, or at least. Um, and so, uh, so have people going from there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You, you are a very positive person, Cassia, I must say. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy right now. But um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a little bit about the state of hospitalities. And you know, I have to bring up the pandemic. Um, yeah. I, I hate I hate hearing about it, you know, every day as much as everyone else. But um, there's a lot we're going to learn from this, honestly. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the state of hospitalities and and travel related industries during the pandemic. Um, and you touched a little bit on how you you've been working. It's easy for you to work in places where plastic bans are taking place, you know, from the government top down. And there's that momentum happening, but. During the pandemic, and I, I saw this personally in the Northeast U.S. in New Hampshire, that governments responded to the pandemic by uh, by supporting single-use uh, single plastics because they were seen as like a safer alternative. And, you know, we're seeing PPE, gloves, uh, face masks being littered now more more than ever. Um, it's like a whole new source of, pla- of, of debris in our, in our environment. And I'm just curious because – so in New Hampshire – that that's exactly what happened where I live is that all the supermarkets, they banned the reusable bags. They said it, it's a danger to the employees. It, uh, you know, it could spread the disease. Um, and recently, and thankfully, they've reversed that and, and taken the model of other states that didn't ever uh, ban reusables. And so now, now we're encouraging people to go back to the stores with their reusables. Um, I'm just curious how this pandemic and all, and just the, the reliance on single use plastics as a safer option to, you know, to the spread of disease, um, if that's affecting your work at all. Yeah. So definitely, um, you know, when, when the pandemic first began and we were still just trying to understand how does this virus actually spread? How do we need to be responding? I think there was a lot of, um, misinformation that was spread. And and a lot of that was actually spread by the plastics industry. So they took advantage, they, they, they didn't miss a beat um, and took advantage of the crisis to uh, push forward single use plastics as a more safe, hygienic option, um, an alternative to reusables to anything else, honestly. Um, and so that was a huge detriment. And, and we've been trying to um, 
reclaim so much ground that we lost um, since March, actually. And I do feel, as you mentioned, um, that it's finally starting to shift back in the right direction. Um, now that we do have more information, now that we actually we, we had enough time to organize, to learn and to respond. And so that was a huge part why we did create our guidelines as well. Um, when we created the guidelines, we began with a literature review to answer a lot of those questions, just to understand what is the truth? Um, how does the virus spread? Are reusable safe? And just to boil that down um, and to get some real understanding there to see what are the scientific studies showing, what are authorities saying. And so in our fact sheet, and actually the more that we dug into the issue, the more confident we felt in recommending reusables. And in that, within over the course of that journey, actually, um, our friends at Upstream and Surfrider and Greenpeace released a statement that was signed by, at this point, over 130 public health experts around the world endorsing that reusables are safe. So at this point, the jury is out and we know that reusables are safe. You just need to have proper protocols in place for disinfectant, um, for sanitizing, for hand washing protocols, whatever is needed. Um, you you just need to be taking taking those extra measures and precautions. But it's really more about the, um, the disinfectant protocols and the dishwashing temperatures and the disinfectants that are used rather than shifting from reusables to single use plastics. And one of the questions that we dug, in, dug into was, um, how long does COVID-19 last on specific surfaces? And we actually found that plastics was one of the long, uh, it, it lasted on plastics longer than most other surfaces. So plastics could be one of the worst options rather than the most hygienic. And if you are focusing more on frequent hand washing, frequent disinfecting, then you know that at least within the past 15 minutes, we've sanitized this area, these surfaces, these um these products, whereas with single use plastics, they could be coming from across the world and you have no idea how many hands they've been passed through along that supply chain um, before they end up in that restaurant or as part of that takeaway meal kit that you're then receiving. So in many ways, single use plastics could actually be more harmful um, than, than reusables and then other sustainable alternatives to disposables. So I do think that that was a, a knee-jerk, fear-based reaction from the industry, and especially as there was not clear guidance from uh, from local le legislation and from local um, ad ad authorities. I think you know a lot of businesses even still are trying to figure out what the actual recommendations are. On that note, we did do a we did create a regulations database just to feature what was most relevant to us, at least anything that had to do with plastics and waste. Um, what are people saying and Throughout that that research, we saw that Singapore is actually recommending customers bring their reusable containers when they purchase food. Australia and the Victorian government has actually said disposables are not safer for any reason. Um, the UK and Ireland and Scotland, we've seen similar statements. And Switzerland and Germany, they've specified what temperature dishwashers need to be set at, thereby endorsing that dishwashing and re reusables are a safe practice. Um, and we're starting to see that again in, in the US where a lot of our bag bans or our bans on single-use plastic bags had been re reversed or paused um, in that period of, of uh, confusion, really. Um, and so uh, in Connecticut, in New Hampshire, um, in New York, the bag ban was finally passed. And so we're starting to see that momentum shift back. So I think that's really a good sign. Um, oh, and also I just wanted to mention too that within in that regulations research, the CDC was the only authority that actually recommended single-use plastic items, uh, single-use items more broadly. They didn't specify plastics um, for food service wear. So it was- Interesting. Uh, 
Yeah, exactly. So of course, classically, um, it would be in the US, the CDC is the only one that's actually recommending that and nowhere else in the world has that been a nationwide recommendation. And so I think that also causes a lot of confusion, because then even if at the city and state level, you don't have those recommendations, businesses are perhaps looking to the CDC to see what's needed. Another example of this, too, is a lot of businesses ask us, do they need to have their straws in individually packaged um, in individually wrapped so that it's not exposed. And that over, overarchingly, that's not some, the, the guidelines have not been that specific. So overarchingly, we do not see um, specifications for that. We do see that cutlery should be wrapped, um, but that can also be wrapped in a napkin that can be um, wrapped in a paper bag that can be, there, there are other creative ways of doing that that doesn't require having single use plastic cutlery in a plastic wrapped um sachet. And so, uh, yeah, so anyways, the, the, that's getting a little bit my, into the minutia. Um, but I could also go on about <laughs> condiments and um, <laughs> servings and everything. But, um, but for the most part, we did find reusables are safe. Um, plastics are one of the least safe items. And governments around the world are supportive of reusables. So I think at this point, we're, we're in the right um, footing to move forward. That's such a relief to hear. And just adding in my notes, less plastic, more party, more plastic, more germs, ill. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just things to think about. So it is such a relief to hear you say that actually you're the first person I've heard say that about reusable plastics um, and like one time use kind of plastics. So it's really interesting. I'm just kind of processing that. Um, I think we should just yeah. take this sound bite and just like <laughs> blast it from everybody's cars. Um, so it's interesting. <laughs> it's like we're getting, so we're getting back on track, right, with reusables. Um, but at the same time as that is getting better in the tourism industry, there's a lot of discussions about revenge travel. Um, this super scary sounding term, which the definition actually isn't super scary. It's the idea that people that have been locked down that had to cancel their travel plans that have been stuck in their homes when they can travel again, they're going to travel baby and they're going to travel big and they don't care the money that they're going to spend. They don't care like how detailed it is. Like they're going out and they're going to have this amazing, like crazy big trip. Um, I think that revenge travel is starting to get different definitions as we do in the English language. We start uh, adapting things. <laughs> so revenge travel, I think what it's looking like on the Oregon coast is, hey, we were in lockdown for months. We weren't allowed to access our public lands. So now we are and we don't care about consequences and we don't care necessarily about how we behave. And so we are seeing, um, as Brian was saying, gloves and masks and to-go boxes all over our trails, all over mm -hmm. our beaches. So I'm curious on your team, if you guys have talked at all about revenge travel and how consumer demand for things like sustainable practices and the businesses that they choose and their well-planned trips, how that might actually change. Yeah. You know, I've, Prior to this conversation, I've never heard of the term revenge travel, but it um, but it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we're all kind of starting to go a little stir crazy. Um, so having some at least nature escapes are so needed. But uh, yeah, but I think just to highlight um, the cause also of, of some of that, that waste, we've definitely been focusing on um, consumer awareness campaigns and education around using reusable masks where that's safe. Um, there are reusable masks that are have been rated to be higher than 
more effective than N95 masks. And we actually work with a company called Castle Grade, and they do have replaceable filters, but it's a silicone-based mask that can be um, that's infinitely reusable if you if you replace those filters. Um, and and there's there are a few others. There's, there's plastic-free face shields, and there's there's all these um, uh, other innovations to to, to find that um, you can even just be using a homemade cloth covering. Although we know that's not as effective, um, and certainly not medical grade if you are going into an environment like that would require that. Um, but just for daily use, that should be completely fine, and you can be sanitizing and washing those with every use as well. Um, and also on the note of gloves, even in an industry setting, even in hospitality and tourism businesses that we work with um, in the back of house. There are certain roles that require gloves to be used, um, especially if you're preventing cross-contamination. But in many cases, hand-washing is actually more efficient. And so there's new understanding and um, and, and studies and um, educational and <laughs> informational, also funny uh, videos that that can mm-hmm. can show this um, playing out. But but actually, if you if you're wearing gloves, you have this false sense of security. So you think that you can then touch anything, and you're being careful, you're being safe. Whereas if you have a policy in place that requires employees to wash their hands every 15 minutes, then you know that you've neutralized whatever potential virus or whatever potential contaminant um, that you're carrying on the on, on your hands. And so, um, whereas if you have an employee that's wearing the same pair of gloves for a four hour shift versus washing their hands every 15 minutes. So I think you can see how, um, the, the vector for transmission is greatly increased if you do wear single use plastic gloves. So in those cases, um, gloves are actually not safer. And I think we're seeing a similar thing too, just even in the consumer perspective, even going to the grocery store, um, you can just sanitize, sanitize your hands in on your way in, on your way out, or as frequently as you'd like. Um, but that would be safer in some cases than wearing gloves that you then are using to open the car door or to um, <clears throat> help with your kid's stroller or something along those lines. So you know that you've, you're still, you're being more conscious about those choices. So I think first of all, there's ways we can cut down the waste that, are, that it's coming from all this PPE that we are seeing on our beaches and our waterways in the ocean. Um, and then secondly, to, to your to your question, <laughs> I'll try to stay on track, um, but to your question about how do we respond to revenge travel, especially as you, the example that you gave actually in terms of um, celebrating and using our natural spaces and public lands, I do think it, it is important that we can find a safe way to do that because mm-hmm. um, it, that it's so crucial to, to building this connection with nature and with our environment and also just um, being realistic about how, how long people can just stay inside and, and not go out and experience anything. I think it would be safer to have trails maintained and um, picnic areas um, established in a way that you're not using the tables or you're not using high touch surfaces. Um, but that would actually be much safer than going to a restaurant, even if it's outdoors. So mm-hmm. I think there's got to be ways that we can be using that space in a safe, um, in safe ways. And for travel, it's interesting because um, some of the hotels we work with in the Caribbean and in Latin America, um, they're actually fully booked. And so I think people have already begun that some of that revenge travel, perhaps. And mm-hmm. they, you know, these are places they're able to travel, they need to just get out, stretch their legs. Um, and so we're already seeing that taking place. And I think that's why it's, um, you know, hopefully people are, are being safe, and we don't see major lashbacks from that. But, um, but in some places, we have seen places go back into lockdown multiple times. Actually, I have family in Hong Kong, and it's um, coming out of its third lockdown or so. And so wow. um, there are places where, um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a wave that we're r- continuing to ride. But um, 
but what we I think we do need to find um, a good middle ground and then just also cut out the unnecessary waste. Um, <clears throat> if you are experiencing going out to, you know, take advantage of your trails and beaches near you. Um, just bring your own reusable uh, lunch sets and picnic sets. I mean, there's so many solutions out there. There's so many ways to do that, that uh, it should be unnecessary to be creating this, this, all this plastic waste, especially just from like a consumer. And, and we're spending so much time at home that one simple way you can do that too, is if you're ordering, if you're ordering food in to support local businesses, which completely, um, of course we would support, um, just ask your delivery service or ask the restaurant specifically to not give you utensils that you don't need while you're sitting at home. And so we're actually working on some campaigns with partners across the US to support legislation um, <clears throat> that would make uh, that would make cutlery it would, you would have to opt in to receive single use plastic cutlery. So the default would be to not give cutlery. Um, which right now is really not necessary when people are eating at home. And so that's something that we're tackling delivery platforms for and that we're, we're working with businesses, again, to your point of how is this relevant to the staff um, to make sure that employees are reading those receipts and then responding. But you can support as a consumer, as an individual, as a human at home um, by saying thank you to businesses that adhere to that. And then by continuing to give that feedback and, um, and those reviews um, <clears throat> to make sure that businesses can comply with that. So that, that's just one um, small, small thing that we can all do. Yeah, Erica, I, we're going to have to talk more about revenge travel um, at another time. Cause I have so many thoughts about all of this that we'd end up going to like three hours, honestly. <laughs> um, but I've, I've also never heard of the term, but it makes so much sense to me because I've been saving up all of my time off during COVID to use when COVID's done. And yeah. <laughs> I imagine I'm not the only one out there doing that. People are just like stuck in their house, like, yeah, I'm going to get on a train and I want to go to my favorite restaurant. I want to, <laughs> like saving, yeah. like putting money in their piggy bank. Yeah, we could definitely probably do another podcast. It comes from um, an older term called revenge spending that came out of China yeah. after the cultural revolution. But um, uh, yeah, yes. definitely interesting, definitely worth checking out to see how you are currently doing that at home um, and how you can maybe like reconsider like when you are making these big plans, how can you make these big plans but be choosing these businesses that Cassia is describing that are making these big steps that have been making these operational shifts. Um, yes, it is yeah. exciting to get out, but let's put some thought into our planning too and support those businesses. Yeah. And, and I have one more question just relating to the pandemic. Um, so it's, it's kind of this idea in the hospitality sector of like adapt or perish. So me, like there's so many businesses in the hospitality. I'm thinking mostly restaurants, right? That they operate unsustainably to cut their costs because they, they run at such low margins. Um, and, and I'm one, and, and this is something that Erica kind of mentioned when we were thinking about making this podcast was that. Um, are these businesses trying to cut costs because they're not operating successfully in the first place? And are these going to be the best? Are these businesses that are operating unsustainably going to be the ones that fail during the pandemic and kind of leave an opening for newer businesses who are more in tune with modern consumer demand to step in and replace those folks? I'm just curious what you think about that, Cassia. If you think that's gonna it's gonna play out like that, um, uh, you know, if you have, if, does that give you maybe hope for the future uh, of the Oceanic Standard and what you're doing? 
Yeah, and I think that that's really insightful, Brian, too, just in terms of understanding or, or, or looking um, to the future to see how will this industry be evolving. And certainly, um, I love, too, that you've highlighted that many sustainable practices are actually cost-saving, um, and it's, it's actually just also being sustainable with resources fundamentally, which is which is where the inspiration comes from. Um, so, so, yeah, I do think that those the businesses that are taking greater care with their operations um, will hopefully, again, you know, I guess everything's in the air, but will hopefully be the ones that that are that are able to survive and to weather the storm. I also do think that, um, sadly, uh, for for whatever reason and in whatever case and, and circumstances across the world, a lot of businesses, a lot of restaurants specifically, um, will be going out of business, sadly. And um, but what that does leave is a, a market opening. And an opportunity for biz- for new businesses to enter the space, and we've already been seen. We've already seen that um, new businesses are catering directly towards those consumer demands that that we've been speaking about, towards aligning with with values of environmental and social justice, of aligning with these these values that we do hold dear. Um, and and this is not just millennials and Gen Z, but this is actually more. Um, cumulative as uh as as a global population and so i think yeah we're definitely starting to see that 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 being the case um in in a variety of sectors but i think especially um in restaurants so so hopefully that does continue and yes that does make me excited that we can continue to share um the oceanic standard to make sure that as those businesses have that intention they can stay true to that and really execute um on their goals and their vision uh in a way that's honest and genuine and um yeah. 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 It's an it's an opportunity to restart the industry, to to unplug the plug and plug it back in. You know, that that usually yeah. works, right? That's <laughs> right. Exactly. So you fix yeah. any issues. Yeah. And I would say to anybody listening out there, I think this has come up a lot in this conversation today, whether you're a business that's going to start anew or you're going to just be a new business in general, whether you're a community leader, an industry leader, reach out to Oceanic Oceanic Global, reach out to Cassia like be proactive in this. Um, There are so many people and businesses and things in the world that although Castilla sounds like a very busy person, she can't get to know every (laughs) single person. So I know in the work that I do, sometimes people will be like, well, you never offered that to me. (laughs) Like reach out, like reach out, be proactive. And so I'll just put a plug in here right now to be proactive, reach out and like grab onto the standard um, as we're starting to restart the industry. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well said, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. No, no. And I think, I don't know. I, I think, I think the world is going to change after this. And I'm, I, I am hopeful as well. I'm very hopeful that it's going to change for the better. People are going to wake up, realize what we were doing wrong. Um, you yeah. know, it, it takes a crisis for people to, to really change what they're doing and, you know, wake up and, and accept new things. And so, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think we can come out of this together stronger, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and one thing too that that I'll, that I'll leave you all with, or just in terms of um, some some recent stats, I've pulled up my notes here <laughs> so I can share with you a little sample from from our updated, newly updated fact sheet. Um, but exactly what you've said, Brian, that you know a crisis does make us really rethink our values, and I think spending also so much time at home with family, hopefully in nature, um, it, it has 
it has caused uh, a, sh a further shift in, in consumer awareness and behavior um, more specifically. I think I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this call that we are seeing the lower sales of single-use plastic water bottles, um, which is amazing. And that's not just from people who are on the go, but it's people who would habitually order those bottles for at-home usage um, and, and are no longer doing so because they have a stronger commitment to causes that are greater than themselves, um, which is amazing. And um, it, we've also seen in, in a very recent study um, that took place during the pandemic, actually, um, Brandwatch found that 57% of respondents wanted businesses to focus more on sustainability and the environment in 2021. Um, and a recent Morgan Stanley study actually shows that 88% of studies, uh, sorry, 88% uh, yeah, of studies found that companies abiding by social or environmental standards showed higher operational performance. So again, going back to partying sustainably means a better party, um, <laughs> operating sustainably, sustainably means a better business. And so the two go hand in hand. Um, it, it's talking about quality, it's talking about responsibility and intention, um, and, and how we can exhibit that in all sectors, but particularly with respect to how we uh, leave a footprint on our planet. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think we should just end with that. I mean, <laughs> you, 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 you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think that's that's incredible. And um, Erica and, and Cassia, I think I think we're gonna have to do this again because I have, <laughs> I have a lot sure. more I want to talk about. I have a lot more I want to talk about in in this industry and and with through the work that you're doing, Cassia. Um, it, but you know, I I think I think this is plenty for people to digest right now. Um, and I think I think we hit we hit on really important topics. Um, I the just the the movement against plastic it's going to keep moving forward. This I, I see COVID as a minor speed bump in this whole uh, in the larger picture of of us moving forward and and this movement. And I'm ex I'm excited yeah. to see how we're going to grow out of this. And yeah, and Cassia, thank you so yeah, thank you so much for the work that you and everyone at the Oceanic Global team is doing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm sure you're going to get some more big fans that are listening out here um, that really respect the work that you're doing. And hopefully we see some more uh, folks in the industry pick up, pick up the standard and yeah. become, uh, become ocean champions. I, I know it. I'd, I know I'd want to be. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you both so much for having me. Um, Brian, such a pleasure to reconnect. And, and Erica, it's, a love, it's lovely to connect and to learn more about how, how you both are spreading this message. So yeah, thank you.